Good morning, Rock Bible Church. Man, we give you a little bacon and pancakes, and boy, you're awake. I love it. Rock Bacon Church. It's a good, it's a good ring to it. Hey, uh, good to see you this morning. Uh, welcome to the Lord's house on the Lord's day. Amen. Hey, uh, we've got stuff coming up uh, in our future. We'll tell you about some other day. The reason we're here is to worship the Lord. We did pretty pretty good with that whole little band set we just did, huh? Right? And then, um, and then hear from the Lord. Yeah? There's many ways to do that. Uh, scripture is one of them, one of the key ones. I was reminded this week, I had some conversations well, let's just say I went and spent time with my family of origin, father, brothers, nieces, nephews, the whole thing. And uh, there were some conversations that came up about Scripture. And uh, my brother is, is a little bit um, above average when it comes to memorizing stuff. And it was just fun to be reminded of the power of Scripture and what it does when we read it, interpret it, apply it, memorize it, the whole thing. So uh, that's what we get to do. That's what we've been doing in the book of Samuel. And we are chapter 26. This is going to get really fun today. There's going to be some flashbacks to previous parts of the story. And I will try to limit my fun to where it still can come across clearly. How about that? Other than that, I think it might be bouncing around a little today. It's, it's a fun, fun section. Um, we're 1 Samuel chapter 26, if you're looking and reading in your Bible, or it'll all be up on the screen. But uh, we're going to pray first and get started because we're Rock Bible Church and we're number one, what? We're Christ-centered. Yep, so we're going we're gonna to talk to God first, then we're going to be biblically based and we're going to hopefully learn how to be a compelling, casual community. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning and uh, all the ways we can worship you. But may we be reminded to worship. May we be beyond grateful to the point that distractions and hardships cannot compare to your glory. And so, Lord, we thank you for this week. We thank you for this morning. We thank you in advance for this passage, and we ask your hand a blessing on this time. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen? Amen. First Samuel uh, chapter 26, we're going to get a story that is very similar to two chapters ago, which I'm very excited about because I was a little disappointed that Brent chose to do chapter 24 rather than do something else while I was gone. So now I'm getting a second shot at it in a different way. So um, if you remember, uh, Samuel's has passed, uh, the priest prophet, and now David's kind of on his own, and he's on a learning curve that he's doing, well, I don't know, maybe he's getting a C average right now. Sometimes he, he hits it and gets it right, and then other times he drops the ball. Last week I said, that's good for us. And I asked you, why is that good for us if the characters in the scripture are flawed? And what we come up with? 
because we're flawed too, and so we can relate. We're giving object lessons that we can relate to. And um, there's other times where when he gets it right, that's good for us. Because other than flaw, we're getting an example set. There's a projection of, hey, you could experience this, do this, believe this, think this, feel this. And how about you try? And that's kind of what we're going to get. Let's, um, let's see it as we go. Let's jump in. Verse 1. Then the Ziphites, oh no, the Ziphites, came. That's, you know, this one I like because I can actually pronounce it. <laughs> right? I like the ones that you can actually get. He came to Saul at Gibeah saying, Is not David hiding himself on the hill? You might want to try this one. Hakelah. Oh, hey, good job. Hakelah which is on the east of Jeshimon, is he really asking a question? No, he's, he's running to the teacher, tattletale. Hey, I know where David is, right? Why don't you, you go get him? Why is he doing that? Trying to score points with the teacher, right? Yeah, we had names for that when I was in public school. Um, verse 2, So Saul rose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. 3,000. How many does David have? 600. 600. Oh, I love it that people pay attention. Um, and Saul encamped in the hill of Hakalah, uh, which is beside the road of the east of Jeshimon. David remained in the wilderness. And when he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, Dave sent out spies. You can call him Dave if you're familiar. <laughs> um, sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. So we're setting up for some kind of battle, right? And David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay. With Abner, son of Ner, the commander of his army, Saul was lying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. He's surrounded by his army. He's in the middle. This is important for what's about to happen. And David said to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and Joab's brother Abishai, Son of Zeruai, who will go down with me into the camp to Saul? Now that's a dumb question. Who wants to march down in smack dab into the middle of the army in front of the guy who's trying to kill me, has thrown spears at me twice now, and he's abandoned me at wars and things so that the enemy could kill me? Any takers? Any volunteers? Right? And Abishai, look at this. Abishai said, I'll go down with you. We like him, don't we? So David and Abishai went to the uh, army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, next to his head. And Abner, the army, and the army lay around him. Now what's going through your head we have a spear to go through his head everybody's asleep we might be able to pull this one off right that's what abishai is thinking too uh abishai says verse 8 to david god has given your enemy into your hand this day he's saying i'm so glad i came this is going to be awesome. Now, please, let me pin him to the earth. What a great phrase. 
right? If you get really angry and you, you, you're just going to spit out something, you should never say, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to get you. Instead, next time, use this phrase, okay? I'm going to pin you to the earth. <laughs> Let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. That's a sign of respect. We're going we're gonna to end him, but we're not going to overdo it. We're not going to rejoice in this, but we are going to recognize that God has given us an opportunity. God ever give you opportunities? Let's take the negative side of Alex. I'm not, I don't mean somebody's like, yeah, I've had a chance to kill people. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Um, have, have, have God opened doors for you? Let's think in positive terms. You get to this, you get to that. You didn't think you were going to, and then oh, you did. God opens doors. He, he provides roads, avenues, people, acquaintances, opportunity, material, resources. God sometimes like turns a light on. Like, whoa. You're David, and Abishai's with you and says, hey, let's kill him in this. What do you want to do? Right? What are you thinking? I don't want to tell you what I'm thinking because you view me as a pastor. You don't want to see my dark side. I think I, would, I might, I might have messed this one up. Luckily, David's ahead of us. Amen? Watch what happens because David, he says no, right? David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. And watch this phrase. It's one of my favorite phrases in Scripture. For who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be what? Guiltless. Guiltless. Don't mess with the pastor. (laughs) It's one of my favorite phrases, right? Who can raise their hand against the Lord's anointed? David said this before. What's his point? What's he mean? This is not about the pastor, is it? It's not. Say no. Wait, what's it about? What? Who can hear? Sorry? God's authority. Where's God's authority? I mean, he's told David and anointed him. It's like, you're going to be king. Wait, what did I just say, David? What has been by Samuel poured oil all over him? Long time ago. Been a long time. We've been chasing through the wilderness and Saul's been after him. He's had a chance to kill him. He doesn't. Remember um, a couple chapters ago, Saul went to the cave to go to the bathroom yeah. <laughs> and David's in there, cut off a piece of his robe. He's like, I could have killed you in one of your most vulnerable moments. And let's just say when they came to see the body, it wouldn't have been attractive. <laughs> you know? I thought David was the anointed. And yet David, instead of calling himself anointed, he's referencing God's authority, which we came from over here on this side of the room. This idea that as long as Saul is king, Saul is king. And when God wants to remove him, God will remove him. But dare not I raise my voice against my boss or at my parents or my spouse or the pastor or the coach or whoever it is, if God's put somebody, how about you carry yourself with pride and dignity, character, respect, all those kind of, love your neighbor while you have a chance. It looks like God has put your enemy at your feet where you could just, bam, all right, I'm king. But what's the cost of becoming king in that scenario? You're compromising a bunch of things Let's go, Iris. Give me nuts. Don't leave me hanging. 
That's what my kids do. Um, no, you end up guilt because you compromise something. You cut a corner. Uh, last week, we, we said it this way. You took matters into your own hand. If we really have faith, we'll just wait and see. God will do it when God's ready to do it. What is my responsibility then at that point? If I'm waiting for God to do what God's going to do and I'm going to be king later or whatever and I'm just waiting, what's my job then in the meantime? Survive. <laughs> keep, keep breathing. <laughs> Follow the Lord best you can in that moment. Be you. Be nice. Be helpful. Be a servant. There's, there's, there's lots of options, right? That can keep you guilt-free. This is what David's going for. David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him. Striking him's not our job. Last week we said it this way, leave vengeance to God. Right? Abigail had to tell David that. David was coming to kill Abigail's uh, husband because he had turned away uh, David's uh, men when they came to get food and the whole thing. He said, ah, oh, forget it. I'm just going in there and wipe it out and take whatever I want because... Right? And Abigail says, whoa, 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 why would you do something that would shed blood and make you guilty? How about we think about before we strike? How about we think about the consequences of our actions? You know, our, our culture doesn't do that much. Our culture does whatever it darn well pleases. And we'll see how it goes used to hate this phrase. It used to be big, like in the 80s. I gots to get mine. No, you don't. In fact, that's really ignorant. Gots to get you. What about everybody else? Do they need to get theirs? How about you be part of helping others get theirs rather than just be focused on you getting your own? Our, our culture is self-centered. You that phrase before? Self-centered? Right? It's the Abishai. Oh, I got an opportunity. Oh, let's take it. All right, now let's move on to the next thing. It's like, wait a minute. How about we think things through? How do we have some forethought, wisdom? You heard this um, word that we never use anymore? Foreknowledge? What's foreknowledge? You knew before. <laughs> to know knowledge for before What's the point of foreknowledge? Why would that be a thing in the Bible? Why, why would you have information ahead of time to learn from? We're at church, and I'm asking a question. God wanted you to have information ahead of time before you acted. Whoa, there's a pattern, maybe. He says, well, let's watch out. We don't want to be guilty. David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him. Or his day will come to die. Or he will go down into battle and perish. He gave three different options. What is he really saying? Who knows how he will end? We'll find out when it happens. And we'll have no part in it. You know, um. People like to bash other people. Have you noticed this? I mean, if you haven't noticed this, it means you haven't been on social media ever. Or you never had siblings. You've never been married. You've never worked with anybody. In fact, I'm surprised you're here. 
we, we got this thing, we like to bash other people. And when the bashing begins, like when we start bashing, like if I started teasing Doug right now, you would have this insane urge to tease him as well. Right? We love to jump on that bandwagon. But why do we do that? Feel better about yourself? You got to do something? You got to be part of it? Yeah, and then what? Then what are you a part of? I was fortunate enough to go to college and play soccer. And uh, I worked my tail off with the coach. Uh, He was a a prominent coach known all over the place and very good at his job and the whole thing. And I had been going to summer workouts and taking his PE classes and doing all this stuff. We went to preseason tournaments, the whole thing. And two weeks before our season was about to begin, he gets the job at Stanford. (laughs) Which I wasn't at Stanford. (laughs) We know, Scott. Um, so they get this interim coach in last minute they just found whoever they could find because all of the programs in the country already had their coach practice starts for the real season in two weeks right so they got a guy that had coached at our college back in the 70s and they brought him back most of the team didn't like him complained about him and started almost like they were going to have a coup. They were going to go to the athletic director and take a group of people and the whole thing. And I remember the one guy, Art, he was one of the older guys on the team. He said, hold on a second. What if this works? And some of the guys, oh, yeah, it'd be awesome. We get a new coach. We won't have to deal with this guy anymore. And Art says, yeah, and you'll all have been the part of the demise of a coach. You were all part of helping get somebody fired. In fact, he doesn't step on the field. We're the ones that play. If we're not doing well, it's because of us, not because of him. So how about you guys stop making excuses and we start getting to work? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's so rare to have people stand up for, for good things, right? Um, the Lord forbid, verse 11, the Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. What a great personal statement for him. But take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let's go. I have a better idea. Instead of killing him, we're just going to steal his stuff. It's kind of like leaving a note. It's the beginning of sticky notes right here. Right? So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head and they went their way. Uh, No man saw it or knew it. Nor did any awake, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Ooh, interesting phrase. Makes me think this is the way God wanted it to go. That's why they were asleep. So they could sneak in and sneak out. Once they kill him, they're not sneaking out. Right? It's over. (laughs) You're in the middle of the camp of the army. You're dead. (laughs) Which David might have figured that one out too. Then David went over to the other side, stood far off on the top of a hill, with a great space between them. And David called to the army, to Abner, the son of Ner. This is great. He's going to talk some smack right here. It's awesome. It's Old Testament smack. But please recognize it anyways, because this is good, good stuff right here. Right? David called to the army of Abner and Ner, saying, 
Will you not an answer, Abner? That's kind of like, hey, Abner. Right? Then Abner answered, who are you who calls to the king? David said to Abner, are you not a man who is like you in Israel? <laughs> He's questioning his manhood. Are you a man? I thought you were supposed to be the best in Israel. Why then have you not kept watch over your Lord? This is going to be fun, right? Uh, the king, you were supposed to watch him, Abner. Well, were you sleeping on the job? Must not be that much of a man. You must not be best in the land. You know, kind of the implication. I just snuck in on your watch. I could have done anything, and I snuck out. So who are we implying is best in the land right now? David is. <clears throat> For one of the people came in to destroy the king, your Lord. <laughs> one of the people, right? <laughs> Leaves his name out of it. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die. You didn't protect the king. You're supposed to protect the king with your life. I'm going to prove you didn't. And so you should die. Because you have not kept watch over your Lord, the Lord's anointed. Ooh. Now he's using the phrase, the Lord's anointed, to the enemy. It's not just his own personal. He's comfortable with letting them know that he thinks Saul's the Lord's anointed. That's some confidence. And now see where the king's spear is in the jar of water that was at his head. That was, past tense, Abner. Where's the water and the spear? <laughs> I love this. I can't wait till the movie comes out. I want to see this scene. <laughs> right? I, I'm really curious who they... Um, cast as David too. This could be fun. <clears throat> Saul recognized David's voice and said, is this your voice, my son David? And David said, it's my voice, my Lord, O King. Why does my Lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now therefore, let my Lord the King hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. Ooh. This is heavy. Um, what's he saying? You know, if the Lord has stirred you up against me, if God has changed his mind about me being future king, and somehow you're in good graces again, he's forgiven you, and you get to continue to be king, if this is God's plan, then I hope he accepts an offering. What's the offering? Himself. Himself. He says, I'll take it. I'll die. I think that's what's being played here. I don't, mean, I don't think it means, oh, let's take a ram up to the temple, and, which the temple doesn't exist yet or anything, right? Um, let's take it up and, and sacrifice it on an altar. And that's not what he's talking about. If Saul's going to continue at this point, David has to die. And if David's going to be king, then Saul has to die. He says, but if, it, but if it's men that has stirred you up against me, May they be cursed before God, for they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord. And he's saying, if, if men are inspiring you to do this, may they be cursed. Because it goes against everything that God has said we're supposed to be doing. Remember, I was anointed. You, know, you, you heard it from Samuel. 
Everybody knows. Your son even told you. Your daughter's married to me. I mean, come on. Or was married. It'd be like saying, go and serve other gods. Turn your back on God. That's what your men are asking you to do. Is he, is he giving him two realistic options of why he's pursuing him? Maybe. Is God really stirring up Saul against David? Kind of hard to make that argument. Are, is, is Abner and some of the staff, are they telling him, yeah, Saul, you should go get David. Is, is that what happened? Who's generating all this? Saul. So it gives him two options that are kind of unrealistic in order to draw attention to the one option that is dead on. Saul, what are you doing? In fact, if there's a man, <laughs> if it's a man that has stirred you up, let him be cursed. Who's the man stirring up Saul? Saul himself. This is kind of like a subtle accusation. Right? It says, uh, Now therefore, let my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. <laughs> why, why are you after me? I'm nothing. You're the king. The king is out chasing after one guy. It's weird. It's backwards. It shows extreme insecurity and lack of faith. Then Saul said, what? Am I reading that correctly? Saul says, I have what? Ooh, he has the ability to self-assess and confess? Wow. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm. Anybody believe that? Is David going to believe that? No. Because my life was precious in your eyes this day said your your my life was was elevated i was looking up this word actually this week this idea it, be, it precious is like it got elevated okay behold i have acted foolishly and made a great mistake david answered said here's the spear o king let one of the young men come over and take it the Lord reward, rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Amen? Behold, verse 24, Behold, as your life was precious. What does precious mean? Elevated. Elevated. This is not the word in Hebrew that... David, or that Saul used. Saul used the word, meant precious. David uses a different word here, and um, it's not elevated. If, if something gets elevated for a little while, what could happen to it? It could de-elevate or de it could, it could go back down. What goes up must come down. This is a different word. This word means became great. Oh, you think your life was precious, like it got elevated? No, Saul. Your life became great. Hopefully in your own mind, I knew it already, but there's, that's a whole different level than just precious. No, it became great this day in my sight. So may my life be great, made great. 
in the sight of the Lord. And may He deliver me out of the hand of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. Weird. Is that true? Yeah. It's prophetic, actually. And yet it's out of character for Saul, isn't it? Recently it is. But something about that, having his life spared and watching how David carries himself, affects Saul. And David went his way and Saul returned to his place. Which is weird, because this story, I'm pretty sure this story is supposed to end where David's king and Saul's dead. Right? Abishai gets to claim he got to do it. And we pin someone to the earth. And that's not how it ends. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word. Amen? There's a lot of opportunities in this, um, in this story. And as I was looking through, I was realizing, even in little ways, Hey, uh, who wants to go down with me into the camp? There's opportunity presented, right? Guy shows up with Saul. Hey, isn't David hiding over there? Opportunity. Saul has to figure out what he's going to do with this opportunity. These uh, two army guys have to decide what they're going to do with the opportunity. David has said to them, who's going to come down with me? David has some opportunities presented to him, right? Oh, there's a spear and a jar. And I got a guy. I don't even have to do it myself. There's a clear opportunity right there. And then there's quite the conversation that goes on afterwards. Right? Are there opportunities in conversation? All right, for three of you there are. You know that you probably make more choices in conversation than in any other place. Or any other thing. When, when you're talking to your parent, or you're talking to your kid, or you're talking to your co a friend, wh whatever, and, and the words you choose, those are choices. You have opportunities. Do, should I even say anything? There's an opportunity. Did I say too much? How do I fix this? Opportunity. Should I curse right now? Should I not? Should I commit to helping? There's all kinds of opportunities that we run into all the time, especially in conversation. David has all those uh, opportunities in his conversation with Saul. How's he do? Well, if we gave him a, a report card, how do he do in his conversation with Saul yelling at Abner from the, from the mountain? I'm giving him an A. Maybe an A, an a for the conversation, but an A plus. I'm going to give him a little plus for the little jabs at Abner. Those were fun. Right? You know, we, we um, I, I think our relationship with the Lord from this passage is meant for us to start questioning our opportunities. Well, why'd you do that? Because I could. Well, there's a dumb reason. <gasps> you can't call it dumb, Scott. You're a pastor. No, dumb's dumb, right? We learned it from that great theological work, Forrest Gump. Stupid is as stupid does. You have choices in, in the opportunities that are presented before you. Can, can you mess those up? How easily? Very. Right? It's simple to jack things up. And I love um, some of the things that come out of this story uh, because 
David's getting to a place where he's starting to realize there's two realms. There's God's realm, and then there's the realm of everything else. And which one motivates us? Which one actually makes sense? Um, which one works? Most of the time when I meet with people that are stuck and they want to meet with a pastor and they want prayer or they want help or they want um, problem solving or resolution, um, it's because of a lack of faith because they doubt whether God works. They think He's there. They'll say a prayer. They could sing songs on Sunday, listen to all the podcasts. What's that worth? If you never act like God works. Nothing. David puts action into his opportunities after questioning what are my options. And what would Jesus do? That's how we say it today. He doesn't have Jesus yet, right? But look what he says. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. What's righteousness? Um, I don't know, Scott. I've been going to church for a lot of years, and I heard that word a whole bunch of times. Mm, but can you just explain it for me, please? What's the first part of that word? The first five letters. Right. When you do the right stuff, as determined by who? God. Then you are being righteous. And if you do it regularly, if you regularly do God's right stuff, you will be displaying righteousness. You'll have some ness in you. Okay? Um, I hate big words, by the way. So I studied them like crazy so I never have to use them again. Praise the Lord. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. What is faithfulness? Well, that one's a little bit easier, Scott. I think I can take a shot at that one. Okay, go. Being faithful. What? What's another synonym? A word that's similar but different. Same meaning. What? Loyal, constant. How about follow? Follow through. Right. Watch this, though. Because I'm going to crush your definitions now. What are the first five letters of that word? Faith is not based in your action as much as it is the origin of your action. The origin of your action is faith. And faith in who? We're at church, I asked the question. God. And it's the faith in God that drives your actions rather than just you follow through. Right? Could you do the right thing for the wrong reason? Is that faithfulness? It's a little different, isn't it? But you do the right thing for the right reason and you follow through. Now we're emphasizing the faith part of faithfulness. And I'm, I, my fear is that faithfulness definition loses some meaning in our regular use of it. And we think it's like, well, if I just, if I go to church every Sunday, I'll be practicing faithfulness. That, can you go to church every Sunday and be unfaithful? Say yes. I've met almost all of them. Right? They, they grab, I have a, an unfaithful tractor beam. They end up with the pastor at some point. And then they have to say no. And they hear that word like it's, they've never heard it before. Because I had to get them back to that first word. Faith. Right? And what does David say? The Lord 
No, third word. Rewards. You mean there's a, there's a rewards program in Christianity? Do I get a membership card? How many points before I get a reward? Is it one of those cheap rewards where I only get like 1% after I spend $10,000 or something? Because I don't, I don't want, that's not a reward. That's like duty. What would God's rewards look like if you were righteous and faithful? You get the crown of life, which sounds awesome and is true and will be awesome and true when we get to heaven. What's my problem? I'm impatient. <laughs> I want immediate reward, right? Can't can God be like a drive through window? Can I just get hot fries with salt and a little sauce right away for less than 99 cents? No, it's much more than that, right? The Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Every pastor that I've ever worked for has been crucified. It makes me rage angry. I have goosebumps right now thinking of stories about how pastors were mistreated. That's the obvious Lord's anointed. Guess what? There's other Lord's anointed out there. Let's find out how we question these opportunities and make good choices. As my mom used to say, I headed out to my day, make good choices. <laughs> First of this, David says um, this thing about uh, how, who, could, who could raise their hand against the Lord's anointed and not be guilty, right? Um, David uses guilt as a forethought rather than an afterthought. W what if guilt was a forethought? Whoa. I've been spinning on this because I think David's on to something. I have this book. It's really cool. I don't know if you know about it, this is very sarcastic. What is this? Okay. So this is a simple like kindergarten kind of lesson. What's this for? Reading. Okay. It's one of our top five answers on the board. No hundred people surveyed. Right? Teaching. Reading. Teaching. Direction and instruction. Okay, let's go with that. Direction and instruction from God. Okay. There's an answer that I want in your answer in the future when we're talking about this in a different way. This, this book is, what's it for? It's for God. Oh, that was really deep, Scott. <laughs> we'll get into that another day. It's also for us. You said uh, dis, dis, um, discipline, teaching, instruction. Is that, is that because when we do stuff and we're kind of wondering how it went, we can go, I don't know. I asked Doug, and he didn't know, so let's, let's get this out. Oh, I did something wrong. Was this written so that, as an afterthought, we can go back and take a test and see how we did? It was never intended for that. Why do we get stories of really, really old people from thousands of years ago? 
You mean not so that next Sunday I can come in and you can all confess the things that you did because you figured out what you did wrong this week and the whole thing? No. This whole book is meant to be for your forethought. Whoa! And I started spinning on this a little, a little more this week and realized, oh, isn't that, isn't that where wisdom comes from? Discernment? Judgment? How about this one? Restraint? Um, I'm not familiar with that word, Scott. What is that? <laughs> right? Obedience? You ever, I know you, you are all great you know, model citizens, and this probably only happened to me growing up. Scotty, why don't you sit down and think about that for a little while before you do it? Oh, okay. You know, little boys, I know half of you have no experience with this. Little boys, they just run into the wood and bounce off trees and throw rocks and do stuff, and then they see how it goes. I don't know if you've ever figured that out. I'm not familiar with the female version of that because I'm non-gender confused. <laughs> um, but th there's this idea of how about if you have information and you have resources, let's think things through. Abishai is like, hey, let's be like culture. Let's just take advantage of the stuff that there's something laying right at your feet. This, let's do it. It's here. You might as well do it. God wouldn't want you to do it if you hadn't put it there. Or maybe God put it there to see if you would show restraint. Self-control. Wait, what's that word again, Scott? I've never heard that one either. Right? Fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. How, how do those, how do you enjoy the fruits of the Spirit? Use the last word. Forethought gets you into those. I mean, so, as a teenager, memorizing Scripture, going to youth group and the whole thing, oh, fruits of the Spirit? Cool, what grocery store do we get those at? Like, how, how do you get those? And seriously, I'm, I'm tired of, of not having answers, and I need an equation, I need a path, I need a task list. How do we make this practical and do it? How about we think ahead? Will you feel guilty after this? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, let's pick a different course of action. That sounds good. If you, if you used forethought regularly, you know, you know, you, and, and God's forethought, okay, not, not just your own, right? Do you know you would get just the underlined words? Just the underlined words. What does it say? What guilt? How about being guilt-free? Well, how do we do that? Think about stuff that you do, are going to do before you do it. Is this, does it bless God? Does it bless His? Does it love Him? Love His? Does it serve help? Does it leave dead bodies on the road? Are you going to make people angry? Will they post about it? Now that's not always a good marker because some people just post about anything. Right? But you, we can avoid guilt. It's, it's a measure, but it's meant to be a forethought measure rather than an afterthought. Scripture is meant to be an encouragement for your days ahead with God. Amen? Number two. Does restraint outrank opportunity? I don't know if you realize this, um, but you know, the title of the message is Questioning Opportunities. 
all your fill-ins are questions. Whoa, brilliant, Scott. Thank you. Um, does restraint outrank opportunity? What's that mean? Well, just because you can't, just because the door's open, I talked about this earlier, just because he's asleep right there and there's a spear next to his head, does that mean you should do it? Just because you can go to a school, does that mean it's the right school for you? Just because she really likes you, does that mean you should go out with her? Just because there's food left on the plate, should you still eat more? That's the one I struggle with. <laughs> I went to dinner with my dad this week, and it was a, like, a, like a gourmet burger kind of place, you know, not fast food or whatever, and so it was to sit down and plates and the whole thing. And I left the last bur bur uh, bite of my burger on the plate. And he's like, why is there one bite left? Because I kind of pushed the plate away from me, right? And I, I didn't really eat the fries. Greasy fried carbs. Straight to the hips. I left it there and he says, why is there, why is there a bite of the burger left? I said, well, Dad, I want to make sure the burger knows that I have power over it rather than it has power <laughs> over me. <laughs> to which he said, I have no power. <laughs> Finished his play. Um, restraint, is, restraint is a lost art. What are you saying? Well, let's wait. How long? For a minute. Let's think. Let's go find somebody who has experience with it and ask a question. Hey, Abishai, maybe there's a better way. What are our other options? You know, opportunities usually come in twos, or what's the famous say? They always come in threes, right? Let's look at what you could do. And I, I think there's a bunch of examples in here, but I, I really like uh, verse 16. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because... You have not kept watch over your Lord, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jar of water that was at his head. What's he saying? Abner, when you got tired, maybe you should have sowed a little restraint and stayed up because you had a job to do. You had an opportunity to go to sleep or an opportunity to take care of the king. And you chose the wrong one. Wait, you mean sleeping's a choice? In all of your actions, there are opportunities and there's opportunity costs, right? Do we, are we familiar with opportunity costs, uh, college econ class? When you do one thing, your opportunity cost is the thing you missed out on. Some of you have FOMO, the fear of missing out, and it's like a disease that's worse than COVID-19 for you because it paralyzes you. I have the solution. This is your Sunday service extra. The cure for FOMO. Here it is. Right? The sovereignty of God. You are never missing out. You will do exactly what God has ordained for you to do. So you can't have missed out because He wanted you to do that. Now you have a chance to miss out if you listen to Abishai or choose sin, or choose something that will damage somebody. You have a chance. You never need to worry about whether you're going to miss out. 
those rewards that he promised, right, in that verse, you're going to get those. If in forethought you reference the Lord and try to follow him with righteousness and faithfulness. Number three, um, who are the Lord's anointed in your sight? Who are the Lord's anointed in your sight? This one, this one is interesting. This one hit me late in the week. David calls Saul. Yeah, this is the Lord's anointed. When he calls out to Abner, hey, you were supposed to protect the Lord's anointed. Right? And yet, who is Saul to David? He's his pursuer. Right? He's the assassin, the sniper that's coming after him. Do you have any people that are after you? I know you don't have anybody trying to kill you. But do you have anybody that's trying to sully your name or ruin an opportunity or kind of undercut you in front of the boss? Take credit for something so you don't make your quota, whatever it is, right? Bad mouths you behind your back or the fun one to your face. <laughs> do, do you have those? Say yes. Okay. Watch this. What did Abishai call Saul? Hey, look, the Lord has handed, has put in your hand your enemy. Abishai called him enemy. But David, in response, says, I'm not going to take that title. I'm not going to use your word. I'm going to call him the Lord's anointed. You know, what's, what's, this one's going to hurt because these two questions m might be the same more often than you're comfortable with, right? Here's the first question. Who are the Lord's anointed in your sight? And the second one, enemies? Who are your enemies in your sight? And are the Lord's anointed some of your enemies? What if God has put them there on purpose because He's working on you? Anybody enjoy that when God works on you? <laughs> End product, maybe. <laughs> I don't like the process. We, we need to... David does this thing where he flips Saul from enemy to Lord's anointed in his head. Even in the face of full moral support from the guy that said, yeah, I'll charge down into the... Like his right-hand man, the best support, his best buddy, gives him bad counsel and he says, in the midst of that, I have an opportunity and I can forethought, think this through, use wisdom and knowledge and go, mm. no. I'm going to go with God on this one. That takes some restraint. Amen? Um, careful who you put the title enemy on. I thought I have had some enemies that have become great friends, great partners in lots of ways. Okay? Let's just... Gosh, I don't know. You, you know um, 360 Serve, Mark Tyler? Let's just say I was a high school kid and he was a pastor. We didn't always get along. That's the nicest way I could say it. All right? The Lord fixed me. I'm pretty sure he wasn't broken, but the Lord did fix me, right? And what it, one of the things that he fixed is, hey, what if Mark's the anointed in your life? Ooh. When I start entertaining that, boom. All of a sudden, we're sponsoring over 40 
indigenous pastors in another country and we're in one country and, and we're doing and we're partnering with them in the whole thing, right? And and who doesn't love when Mark comes to speak? Amen? Amen. So uh, that's number three. Last one. What if our sight becomes his sight? What if our sight becomes his sight? By the way, on number three, the anointed enemies, those are your, under, your three underlined words. That's make them, meant to make you think, right? Um, what, is this, what is this last one? What, what if our sight becomes his sight? What's that mean? We're always trying to find out the Lord's will, right? Trying to figure out what I'm going to do next. I just want to know what God's will is in this. Right? It's great prayer. What if that was backwards sometimes? What if he's doing something in him because time is his construct, he's not bound by time, right? And all these different things. What if he's waiting for us to see something and then when he sees it, when we see it, he sees that we see it and then he starts to look at it the way we look at it and then we can start moving forward. David decides to see Saul as the Lord's anointed. And then he finds out, well, yeah, that's, that's God's sight too. Now, you could, you could say, well, this is how God saw it all the time. Well, yeah, but you weren't thinking about that. And sometimes until you see it, it becomes his sight in your own mind. Not because it was never that way before, but because you just finally figured it out. Uh, this, this sounds like we're above kindergarten now. Like the mental logic of this equation, what, here's, here's, the, here's the quick version. What if you started experimenting on how you view things the way God might view them? And you will find out that your sight of how God might view them actually becomes how God views them and you figure it out. Understand he has never changed in this scenario. Who's done the changing? most of the stuff we do in our pursuit of faith with God we do by questioning our own opportunities rather than questioning God right just because you have the opportunity to move to Florida doesn't mean you have to do it <laughs> show some restraint a little foreknowledge come on <laughs> think about it um, the, the point of the last one is to cite his that's the two fill-ins Sight, sight his, as in see his. Sight his stuff. Right? You know, when you quote, like when you're writing a paper, I, I feel bad for anybody who has ever had to write a paper in college, and you have to quote something or reference from information, and then you have to cite your reference. Right? You're citing something above you, be, before you, better than you, smarter than you, or something proven we got to figure out how we get our sight to sight his stuff already. And that's, that's what David's starting to do. And it's brilliant. And here's, here's the sad part. Dave's going to forget. Just like we forget. And Dave's going to make some mistakes. They're going to cost people lives. Dave's going to make some mistakes that are 
going to cost him. Dave's going to make some mistakes. They're going to cost him his own son. Because he refused to stick with the plan. Now those are references to 2 Samuel. Later when the story progresses. In the next five chapters, we're going to see how Sam, uh, how, uh, David finishes strong. The second Samuel is meant to be a whole other book with a whole other set of things that it teaches. But in this book, we're meant to understand that you have some opportunities that if you ask the right questions and you cite God regularly, you show some restraint, you think ahead of time, you, you can make some good decisions that are beneficial to everyone. It might get other people to recognize it, right? What Saul do? Saul prophesies it's true. Things he says about David. It kind of forgives him and he goes away. He calms the thing down. How great is that? Who are the Lord's anointed in your life? And there's more than one. And for the purpose of this question right now, I'm not one of them. Who has God put in your life and he uses them as an anointing to be an assist to you? I guarantee you, some of them, many of them, maybe all of them are uncomfortable. Because there ain't nothing easy in this world. Amen? I think that's a verse. I just haven't found it yet. Right? In this life, you will have trouble. Um, and how, are you, how, how can you rethink, re-see those anointed? David had two chances to kill this guy. That wasn't his value. Being right, being first, being all the things our culture says is mo are, are most important They've said, no, I'm playing a different game. I got a whole different set of rules. And you start, you start referencing God's stuff and doing it his way. Guess what? You will have an effect on people. They will want to be around you. They will reference you. They will call you and want to meet with you after you thought the relationship was over because they realize they're missing out. And most of the time they're missing out on God, but they know you're semi-close and they're doing anything they can to get back. That's why we're missionaries. Amen? Amen. Um, what are your opportunities that you need to make decisions about? What can you think about ahead of time who can you reference to help you? Those are some great questions. Let's pray. We'll be done. Lord, thanks for um, the opportunities you do give us. And may we recognize uh, some of them are meant for us to avoid and show restraint. Some of those doors you're meant for us to walk through and help us to know the difference. Pray that our righteousness would be based in your rightness and our faithfulness would be based in faith in you 
And I pray, Lord, if, if anybody's not made that decision yet, if they've never asked you into their life, that they re recognize that that's an opportunity they don't want to question anymore. That's a door they need to walk through. They need to start that relationship and, and accept Christ, his sacrifice on the cross for your freedom, the payment of sin, access to the Holy Spirit, and a chance to kind of start seeing how it actually works. If that's you, say it today. God, I start with you today. Show me how it works. We thank you, Lord, for the offering we're about to receive. Pray you bless it. I pray that your son, Jesus' name, amen. May you get good at choosing his opportunities. Amen. Go with him.